Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Andrew Womack. Welcome to our Wednesday's Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack, and today I have a good friend, Lance Williams, that is with me. And Lance has an awesome testimony. I'm glad it's his testimony, <laughs> not mine. But I'm sure glad of what the Lord has done for Lance and his wife, Emily. They've got an eight-week-old son now, and so it, life is good. He's really blessed with what's happening, and he works for Turning Point, you, <coughs> excuse me, USA Faith. And we're going to be talking about all of that, and we've got a lot to share with you. First of all, let me just mention that this coming Monday, I'm going to be ministering at uh, Kenneth Copeland Bible College in the morning, and then in the afternoon I minister to his uh, staff, and so I'll be there uh, <coughs> with Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And then that night we're ministering with Susan B. Anthony, pro-life thing in uh, the Dallas area. I don't think that those things are all open to the uh, public, but you could be praying with us because. Uh, we're going to be giving away nearly close to a thousand books during that time and ministering to people. It'll be good. And then on the 27th of January, I'm going to Chesapeake, Virginia, and I'm going to be with E.W. Jackson, and we're going to be holding a meeting there at the Chesapeake uh, Conference Center in Chesapeake, Virginia. It's a one-night-only thing, and uh, this is uh, with STAND is the group that EW has, and that stands for Stand True to America's National Destiny. And uh, EW, if you haven't heard him, he's just an awesome, awesome brother. And so I'm going to be with him on the 27th of January. I'd encourage you to come to that if at all possible. we got a lot of other things going on. And, man, I've been uh, fighting a cold the last couple of days, so if I cough or sneeze, excuse me, but uh, I'm healed. Amen. I'm doing good. Amen. So anyway, this is Lance Williams that's with us, and you are a blessing, brother. Thank and you. we got a lot to talk about, but why don't you give people a little bit of background on uh, when you came to Bible college, you, uh, if I remember correctly, you were actually high on something the first day of school. It's high on meth. I stuck a needle in my arm and shot up the last of my meth and got on the plane and came up here to go to Bible college. And you know, people say it's a, it's a great story, and it truly is, but as Andrew kind of mentioned, it's, I wouldn't recommend going that route. I mean, it was... How did you get into that? Were you raised in a Christian home? I was, yeah. Were you a born-again believer? Uh, yes, I believe I was, yeah. And yet you were doing meth. How do you do this? Well, I had a relationship with the Lord, and actually, when I was 15, I had an outstanding football season. I mean, I used to, I, I had most success at wide receiver. I played offense and defense, mm -hmm. but at wide receiver, I used to pray this prayer. I said, God, help me catch every ball that I should and even some that I shouldn't. <laughs> and I'm telling you that year, that's exactly what happened. I actually played beyond my ability. It was a miraculous season. I mean, I caught passes. I don't even know, I don't even know how it happened. But with that, it was, I, God was prospering me in the thing that I asked him to prosper me in. And it was right at my peak. I mean, right when everything was going great, I come down with uh, what the doctors call Crohn's disease. Oh, wow. Had four inches of my colon removed. Mm. 
And was it's, this in high school? Yes, it was, well, it was at the end of my ninth grade year. So yeah, freshman year. Wow. Yeah, and it's like right when everything was going great, it's like I just got my legs taken out from under me. And, and uh, after that, because my identity, although I had a relationship with Jesus, my identity was in sports. My whole life revolved around sports. When that was taken from me, I didn't know what to do with myself. So before I ever got the stitches out of my stomach, I got in a fist fight, I started drinking, smoking marijuana. And I was always curious about these substances and what they could do. So anyway, it eventually led to cocaine and anabolic steroids. And I was actually, when I started playing football again, I was actually on steroids and I was doing cocaine before the football games. And I will tell you that steroids and cocaine is not a good combination because I look back and I, you know, at the time I was wondering, why is my chest hurting? You know, and I was probably about to have a heart attack. But I, it eventually led to methamphetamine. And once I got on meth, it was really downhill because that's some powerful stuff. I don't know anything about that, but I've just heard testimonies that it'll sure kill you in a hurry. Oh yeah, it's it's a masterpiece for. So how long were you on that? Uh, about uh, five years on hard drugs. And you said you were raised in a Christian home. What did your parents think about all of this? How did they respond? Well, I hit it for a long time, at least the, the hard drug use. And uh, they, you know, I hit it, but it got to a point where I just couldn't hide it anymore. And then I got busted and went to prison a couple times. And, and then when I got on the needle, it was really bad. Because, see, I went from being on steroids, 215, 225 pounds, down to about 135. Wow. Because on meth, it makes you where you don't want to eat, you don't sleep. And really, I, it, it was destroying my body, destroying my soul. Now, couldn't you see that? Couldn't you well, see what it was doing to you? Or were you just in a state that you never even thought about it? I don't think I noticed as much as other people because, you know, people started making comments and, uh, you know, looking back now, it's kind of obvious, but I didn't really realize it at the time. And, Man, it's just, it's such a powerful stuff. And what I was going to mention a minute ago, it's, it's like a masterpiece for, for Satan's kingdom, if you want to call it a kingdom. I mean, his, his sphere of influence, what meth does, it'll take somebody that is like a Christian, like myself. And even though I still re reverence God in my heart, my behavior and my actions were totally contrary to God. And that was because of the drug use. I just am reading a book that one of my employees gave me and she was suicidal cutting. She's got scars all over her and she was a Christian, but uh, at the age of, I think it was 14, she became a drug addict. Mm. And I mean, she just went into terrible stuff and it's because she just didn't know her relationship with the Lord. She believed in God and yeah. said that she still honored Him mm -hmm. to a degree, but I just, that just is opposites. Like God's going this way and drugs is going this way. I can't understand how you can do both at the same time. I can relate. I, I used to get high and carry around my Bible with me. And uh, I used to, used to carry a Bible in my back pocket and um, I would take it out and read it. And I used to point to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in, uh, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I used to point to that scripture and say, if I don't die, this is going to be me one day. Really? Yep. And people would just they just didn't get it because I'd be getting high. I'd get up my Bible and read it. And I would, while we were sitting around smoking meth, I would talk about Jesus. Because see, in my mind, it's like the least I could do. I'm sitting here 
dishonoring God with my behavior, the least I can do is bring them up in conversation. But I you did You were that. an evangelist because <laughs> you were on drugs. <laughs> That's right. Talking about Jesus. And people would just, they'd get so uncomfortable. But I'd tell people, I said, you think you're hiding from them? I, you're not hiding anything from them. And I knew I certainly wasn't. So I'll just get high and talk about Jesus. So how did you wind up coming to Karis Bible College? Well, I had two encounters in my life, and one was very evil, where I was, I'm talking about literal devil. I don't know if it's possessed or whatever. I don't know the correct term terminology, but well, I know The Bible thing. doesn't make a distinction. It just says demonized. Okay. People try and divide it yeah. because of their theological differences. Well, because I've had people say stuff, uh, you couldn't be possessed if you were yeah. a Christian. And here's the thing. I don't know. I know I was a believer that I believed on God and that I believe I received God, but I had a devil enter me one night yeah. and it was like a supernatural encounter. And this devil entered me and after that, it, it was really bad. I wasn't liking who I was becoming. For segments of time, <clears throat> I, would lose, I would lose myself. And it's like I still had a free will, but it's just like it would just take over at moments. And I was terrified of what I was gonna do, but not me, but the beast in me. Anyway, you recognized it was a spirit. Yes, after about a month or two, I recognized this is something's not right because I would get in like a trance and do crazy stuff. I mean, one night I was going to somebody's house with a machete down my pants leg, and I was going with the intent to kill this guy. Wow. And then I would just snap out of it and be like, what am I doing? And anyway, I really noticed it, and it's, it's hard to share some of those things because it's hard to put them in words, but I could tell. I looked in my right eye one night and I could tell, I could see that thing in there. And it's really hard to describe. I couldn't see it in my left, but I saw this demon in my right eye. And the after, Bible says your eye is a window of the soul. So you can yep. see inside of you. That's right. Eye. Yeah. And I saw the eye of this beast in me. And I'm telling you, I could explain it more in detail, but I don't think we have time for that. But uh, after that, I'm like, there's something going on here. And I started seeking God. And I'm like, God, there's something in me that needs to come out. And it ended up leading me to another encounter, which was a four-hour encounter where I literally had an out-of-body experience. And I was caught up out of my body into the presence of God for nearly four hours. And in that moment, I mean, God, it was a deliverance. And it's interesting because in that encounter, what started the encounter is I'm just sitting there in a church in a, in a Pentecostal church, mm -hmm. and I feel this, it feels like a giant thumb in my back, like somebody pressing on the center of my back, but it, it was the thumb like way bigger than a human thumb, yep. and like something being pressed out of me. And it's interesting because I found in the book of Luke later that says that God cast out demons with his finger. Yep. Yep. And so God literally was pushing that demon out of me with his finger. So you were in church, I guess you were trying to get help. I was, yeah. Yeah, I'd actually, so, I'd actually talked with this guy. His name is Bobby Payne, and he used to be a big-time drug dealer in the town. Got cleaned up, came to Jesus. At that time, it was so dark. I was, I was just seeking for someone just to understand, just to listen to me, because I would tell people surface-level things, and they would just think I was crazy. I mean, I was crazy, I guess. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I finally got connected with this guy, and he invited me over to his home. And when I walked in his home, I felt a peace that I just, I wasn't familiar with. And I later found out he prayed over and anointed the house. And we have a conversation and I finally found someone who understood where I was at because he had had similar encounters. Mm -hmm. And, he, and I, we could relate. And he ended up inviting me to this church and I really just went to the church out of respect 
for him spending time and, and uh, really ministering to me. And so I went just out of respect. And when I was there, uh, I, I had a, I mean, I had a, an appointment with God that night. And I'm telling you, I left my body. I was in the presence of God for nearly four hours. And when I actually, and there's a lot of cool things in between, but it takes some time to, to say. But when I come back into my body, I'm physically stretched out like I'm hanging on the cross. I mean, arms stretched out, one foot in front of the other. And I'm telling you, I look at my hands and it physically looked like nails had been driven through my hands. He's crucified with Christ. That's right. And there's other people, they didn't experience what I experienced in the spiritual realm, but there's other people there that they saw the print of the nails in my hands. Wow. And after that, I'm like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I got to change. But the thing is, is I kept doing it. I was going to say, because when you came to Bible college, you were high on meth. So, you know, you'd had this encounter and it had been delivered. You just didn't instantly get free of everything. Well, something had changed internally. Because mm-hmm. after that encounter, I'm like, I, I got to change. I can't, I can't do what I'm doing. And that night, or it was the next morning, I'm getting high again. I'm sleeping around. But I'm like, I can't do this. I'm doing it, but I, I can't keep doing this. So I would literally get high on meth, and I would pray. And I remember it was for two weeks. It was just like two weeks of prayer. And a period of three days in those two weeks, I literally prayed all day long. Now, I'm not talking about 24 hours, but I'm talking about like all day. I would just sit out there, high as a kite, chain smoke my cigarettes, and talk with God. And, <laughs> and I did that three days straight. And it's interesting because it was on the third day. You know, like Jesus rose on the third day. Well, on this third day, God resurrected my heart because I'm sitting there praying for a way out. And God speaks to me and he said, Lance, I already provided your way out a year ago. But when he said that, it's like, it's just like it was springtime in my heart. I mean, my heart just came alive and something like it, I felt it internally. And then he reminded me of my grandmother who was seven years old, retired from school counseling and uh, saw Andrew Womack on TV and went to his Bible college. A lot of people thought she was crazy going to Bible college at her age. But she kept inviting me, and I actually rejected it. I actually got firm with her one time. I said, look, I'm not going to Bible college. But a year later, I had this encounter, and God shows me this is my, I'm sitting there praying for a way out, and God says, it's already been here for a year. Your grandma was going to pay your tuition and everything for you to come. I That's remember right. her. She's a godly lady. Yep. And so November 27, 2015, I got up. I stuck a needle in my arm, shot up the last of my meth, and uh, got on a plane and went to Karis Bible College Island Meth. And, and I would say that's the last time that I touched it. It is the last time that I used it. But after Bible college, I went, I went back into some of those drug houses, and I went with Jesus. And I was having church in some of these drug houses. And I, when I saw that stuff on the table, I would make people hand me those drugs. I'd say, give me those drugs. And I guess they thought I was going to, but I would, I would get firm. I guess they thought I was going to get rid of them or something. I said, look, I'm not going to get rid of them. It's your stuff. I said, but hand them to me. And they would hand me those drugs, and every single time, whether it was a pop or whether it was the substance itself, I would just speak curses over it. I said, I would say things like, you held me in bondage for so long. I said, now I got authority over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, and I just took my authority over that stuff every time I encountered it. Well, I remember when you came to school, man, you got fired up. Yes. You were excited. Yes. I think sometimes you got to go through some stuff before you fully appreciate what Jesus is really doing for Mm -hmm. you. 
And I remember you being in the choir and right during worship, ministering to people and prophesying. <laughs> yes. And God has changed your life. It, well, you know, the scripture talks about those who are forgiven much love much. And yep. I think, I mean, I believe that we're all forgiven much. But That's true. the thing with me is I just recognized how much I had been forgiven. And so it just ignited something in me, that, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, I was so excited. I'm still just as excited, but then I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was running around and, and now I channel it. Yeah. <laughs> Now but I channel that energy, but back then I didn't know how to channel it. So, so you graduated, you went back uh, to uh, Oklahoma and you worked with Dwayne Sheriff for a while and you reconnected with Emily, your wife. You'd known her before, but you got married when? It was 2000, you put me on the spot here, 2020, that's right, July 11, 2020. Yeah. And it was right in the middle of the pandemic. and. Uh, we defied the pandemic even in our marriage. We said, you don't have to wear a mask and you know, you come and show up. Cause back then they were trying to limit how many people could be there. But, yeah. but yeah, I moved to Arkansas. That's where I'm from. Was there for nine months having church in those drug houses. Moved to Oklahoma to serve in Dwayne Sheriff Ministries, just volunteer. And you also went to France, didn't you? I did, yeah. I spent three months in France that okay. year. And then I uh, went a month later or went a year later and spent another month there. And I was uh, there at the Dwayne Sheriff's Ministry and I started praying for a wife and went back for Christmas. It was 2019 and literally looked up in Walmart one day and see this beautiful woman waving at me. But come to find out she was actually waving at somebody behind me. <laughs> <laughs> but you took it personally. Hey, that's right. Well, I got closer and I said, hey, Emily, because I knew her. I, I had a secret crush on her in eighth grade. Never told her I liked her. And I asked her, I said, Emily, was you waving at me or somebody behind me? And she said, well, I was waving at somebody behind you. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were in the midst of all of your drug addiction and demon possessed that your life could turn around the way it has? And did you ever see it? The only thing I used to say, I, I would say, I'm not going to do this forever. I would say that. And then I would point to that scripture and say, if I don't die, this is going to be me. But I couldn't have ever envisioned like what it looks like now. It's so, I mean, if, if God would have appeared to me in solitary confinement and sit, told me everything that I would be doing now, it would have been really hard. So solitary confinement means you were dangerous. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble in prison, <laughs> yeah. I went in with a chip on my shoulder and because I knew people were going to, they try to test you in there. And so I went in there ready to fight and I, I got in a mess, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Well, so I graduated ministry school and then I ended up leaving for a few years. I got married, came back for her, my wife, Emily, to go to school. And then I did the government school. And I thought my high calling was in like the fivefold ministry and God's still using us in that way. But I, I wasn't interested in politics at all before. But after I, like God started doing something in my heart and then I took action and went to the government school and something just changed on the inside of me. And it's just like an explosion went off. And I just developed such a passion for politics. So I graduated and after government school started praying and said, God, I want, I want a, um, a job that's in line with my vision, either ministry or politics. And God divinely led me to Turning Point USA Faith. And now I'm getting to work with the faith community and we're not, 
we're not uh, a political organization, but if the church gets involved, it's going to have a political impact. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing now. Working so your with ministry is to the church, but you're trying to get them involved in voting and participating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my own ministry on the side and then with Turning Point USA, I work with churches throughout Colorado and Utah and help to establish a network, provide free resources to them, and then help to organize it. So what does Turning Point do? How do they uh, network with the churches? What do they do? Well, so we have people like myself over every state and we go out, we go to events, meet with pastors. Uh, we have some of our, some of the greatest events, I think, in the move it, movement. Uh, we just had our America Fest down in Phoenix that was 13,000 people and the wow. speaker lineup was just incredible. And it's, we have, and then we have our pastor conference twice a year and the last two we've had around 1,200 pastors at. Crazy. And we'll actually pay for pastors to come to these events. We just ask them to cover their travel and then we'll pay for them to stay in a nice resort and attend the, the meeting. Wow. And so we do things on a national level like that. And then, like I said, on a local level, I'll do like small pastor gatherings throughout Colorado and Utah. And then I travel the state, meet with pastors and just and so what kind of uh, results is this having? Do you have any testimonies of how you've gotten churches involved, activated or things like that? Yes. So, so we, it's, it's really encouraging in one sense and then it's discouraging in another sense because if you, have you read Letters to the American Church by Eric Metaxas? Well, no, but I, I know Eric and he, I've heard him talk about it. Yeah. So he talks about in that book about how in Germany there was about 18,000 churches. You had 3,000 that were pro-Nazi, 3,000 that were anti-Nazi, and it was the 12,000 in the middle. They just stayed silent. Yep. And they would even fly Nazi flags on their building. Well, now there's a lot of churches flying the homosexual flag yep. and the Black Lives Matter flag. And so there's the largest portion of churches, I would say, they're not engaged. But there are a lot of churches that there's some churches that are already engaged and then there's a lot of them that we're finding that they're like, yes, just tell, tell me what to do. And so that's where we come in. We provide free resources to them, like free courses. To, like, uh, so a lot of churches will take these courses and then do them in a small group setting. And so it really trains people how to, how to have a biblical worldview towards these cultural issues. And then we help to organize, like I said, pastor gatherings and then different community engagement to help get the church involved in the community because if the church gets involved, man, it's, it's over in a good way. Yeah. I mean, if, if all the Christians would just even go that's vote, right. Right. man, we wouldn't have all these issues that's no. going on. We got churches in every community, every small community. There's literally hundreds of thousands of churches. And if we could ever get the church to stand up, we would right this ship in a hurry. Yeah. And yeah, I've heard you speak when you graduated from third year uh, government school. I heard you speak at our Truth and Liberty Conference. And man, you have gotten fired up at this <laughs> issue. You can really wind people up. Well, I've developed a passion for it. And it's, I've realized that this is what God has anointed me to do. He's, he's not only anointed me to speak in the church, but He has anointed me to speak into these culture issues. I think a lot like what you're doing. Yeah. Because I hear you speak, and I heard my, some teammates down in, uh, in Phoenix when you just had your, your conference down there, they was telling me that you were fired up and 
going against a lot of these things. And well, I speak against them, but I'm just saying here's the truth, and I just yeah. say it. You get in, and it's like I don't know. You're like a cheerleader. <laughs> I don't. I can't do it that way. It's just not my anointing. But uh, I certainly agree with all the things that you're doing. It's really awesome. Yeah. So what do you think your future is? Are you going to be with Turning Point long term or do you have an idea? I'd like to be, I mean, but everything I do I feel like it's long term. So, Do you think you're ever going to run for public office? I know at one time you talked about that. I do, I do. And I've been sensing that for a while, but at first I didn't really say much. Uh, but then some people started giving me words that was confirming I, things that I hadn't told anybody that was in my heart. And so I knew it was the Lord. And so after that I just started, when people asked, I said, yeah, I do have desire to run for public office. I don't know what it looks like or what level that is, uh, but I, I, I think that it'll be sooner rather than later. I'm Maybe not within the next few years, but... Well, with Turning Point, you're getting a tremendous education and mm -hmm. uh, uh, equipping. It's really good for you. Well, you know, I did, I did a, the Patriot Academy. Uh, they have a thing like on the Texas House floor mm -hmm. in Texas, and I did that, and I, when I got up First of all, there was only like 10 bills that passed that year, and mine was one of the 10. But when I got up at that uh, well or whatever they call it, uh, I just started speaking out on like for my bill and against some of these these issues. And I just I'm telling you, I felt like something come over me. Morning. And when I real when I when I sensed that, it's like this, God has called me to do this right here. So I do believe I'm going to be involved in it. I'm going to make a, an impact in the government sphere. Yep. Yeah. I tell you, there's an anointing when you're doing what God tells you to do. Like this morning, I got up in chapel, and they just had welcome uh, is all they had. And I thought I was going to be doing it with Mike and Carrie. I didn't know what we were going to do. So as I was standing there putting my mic on, I called and said, what does this mean? They said, well, you're just ministering for 30 minutes. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. And I just started talking, and I flipped my Bible open to Hebrews chapter 8. <laughs> Excuse me, and I ministered from Hebrews chapter 8, and I had a couple of people come up to me and say, did they record that this morning? <laughs> I've got to get a copy of it. And man, I, you, there's no way that you can take credit for it. I didn't even think about mm -hmm. it. didn't even know what I was doing. And it's just, there's an anointing on you to do what God calls you to do. Yes, and actually God spoke to me through you one time. You said, if you don't get to take the credit, then you don't have to take the blame. Or maybe you said, if you don't get to take the glory, you don't have to take the blame. Yep. But anyway, I'm telling you, God took that and He spoke that to me. Because I used to put a lot of pressure on myself, even to get up and speak and stuff. And after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get up and speak what I feel led to speak. And if it bombs, it bombs. And if it goes great, it goes great. That's and right. I just started casting my care on the Lord about that. And it's like when I started doing that, my speaking ability actually went to a new level. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you get rid of fear. Fear stops the flow right. of God the same way that faith releases it. That's right. That's and so good. you get out of the way and you give God all of the glory. And if you don't take the glory, God will use you in powerful ways. Yes. I've seen you transform, Lance. Amen. There's no telling what God's going to do in your life. It's awesome to see you. Well, He's brought me a long way in a short amount of time. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see the, the next several years. So when was that that you came to Karis? What year? November 27, 2015. So November 30th, 2015 was my first day at Karis. So eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you've seen your whole life turned around, get established. You're a minister. You're married. You're a dad. Mm -hmm. You've got a job helping train other ministers how to get involved all in eight years. Yes, it is amazing. It really is. And I'm so grateful to God and so grateful for you and your ministry. 
I mean, it's been such a blessing. Well, that's awesome. And I'm telling you, after going out and I'm not knocking anybody, but after experiencing some other ministries, I am so grateful that God brought me here to this ministry because I haven't, I haven't encountered many like it, yeah. uh, if any. So. Yeah, we had a guest speaker come to Phoenix one time and minister, and he treated my staff so badly that they came to me and they said, is this the way that other ministers are? And I said, well, there's a lot of them like this. Mm -hmm. And they said, we are so glad that we got associated with you because if we had seen this, we'd have gone the other direction. Mm -hmm. Yep. And very few ministers do I see like really mingle with the people. And you're one of those that, that you intentionally do that. And then that speaks volumes. Well, we're going to take a break here and uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to call in and you can talk to us about anything. But if you want to ask uh, Lance, any of the questions about his testimony or what they're doing, or maybe uh, you're a pastor or you would like your church to get involved and start uh, making a difference. And you would like to know how Turning Point USA Faith could, <coughs> could help you. You can call in. The number is 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. We'll take a 90 second break and we'll be right back to take your calls. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. So welcome back to Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I got Lance Williams with me as my guest today. Right now we got open lines, so if you want to call, you can get right in. The number is 719-619-2341. And you may not know Lance <coughs> as well as I do, but I tell you, God has done a miracle in his life and totally, totally transformed him. And now here he is influencing pastors in multiple states and doing this after just eight years. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, eight years ago, being on meth. And how do, you, how do you get that kind of transformation in your life that quickly? This would be a great opportunity for you to call in and maybe you're struggling with some things and just you could ask. And I believe that Lance uh, could not only give you the Word, I can tell you what the Word says about things, but he could also give you personal examples about how to uh, apply that in your life. So the number is 719-619-2341. And as I said, we got open lines, and so we encourage you to call. So, <coughs> excuse me.
excuse me, I've uh, dealt with a cold the last couple of days and I'm feeling pretty good, but I still got a little cough. And so praise God, I'll just apologize and keep going. But uh, man, we are seeing a crisis in our nation. And like Lance referred to, it's because the church hasn't been engaged. And that stat that you gave about the 3,000 that were pro-Nazi, the 3,000 that were anti-Nazi, but it was the 12,000 churches in Germany that really uh, made the difference. And they were neutral. If they would have stood up, you know, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill that said World War II was the most preventable war in the history of the world mm. because Hitler had no basis of anything. He came in and he started intimidating people and they submitted to him and he, he did things. And then when he took over Austria and gained all of their assets, if people would have stood up to him, they could have presented this, prevented it, but they didn't. And it's a similar thing in our nation that we're seeing all this ungodliness happen. And if the churches would just stand up, uh, the government will not ignore that. And that's basically what you're involved in is trying to get the churches to go. Yes. Yeah. And we're not there to try to change minds or nothing like that. If, if they don't uh, want to get on board, then we just shake the dust from our feet and we go to the next one. We are looking for the churches and the pastors that are ready to get engaged. Because so how do it, you do that? You go into a local area and do you contact the churches and tell them you're having a meeting or invite them or how do you, how do you make these contacts? Well, uh, especially when I first started, I was just driving all over the state, just going in churches, trying to get past the secretary. You know, they got them gatekeepers there. And, yep. Uh, but it, it was it was an art getting uh, that I developed getting How by did them. you do it. Well, I would just at first I would say, well, hey, I'm Lance Williams with Turning Point USA, and that'd get me shut down a lot of churches. But then I'm like, hey, do you have do you have any um, or is is there a pastor I can speak with concerning small groups in the church? And I wasn't trying to be deceptive, but that's really what I want to talk about because we want to do our courses in a small group setting. But once they hear that, they're like, oh, yeah, let me get the pastor. So, so Turning Point had a negative connotation with a lot of these people? Well, with some, yeah. I mean, with, with others, though, you mentioned Charlie Kirk or Turning Point USA. They're like, oh, yeah, you know. they. I would think that would open doors for you, but I guess that's the really conservative people. Oh, it does open some doors with the right people, but with those 12,000 that we talked about, you know, the ones yeah. that's not wanting to get involved, it'll really, um, or at least if, if they're not really active in that area, like speaking out on those issues, then the secretary kind of makes a decision for the pastors in a lot of cases. But there's a lot of them that I've gotten by the secretary and I've talked and they're very interested in the resources that we offer. Yeah. So do you have a percentage like out of a hundred pastors, how many would actually get involved with you and do something? Oh, that's a good question. I don't really have a statistic on that, but I would say... Is it 50%? No, no. Way less than that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, because a lot of churches, they just don't want to get involved. And so I would say it's, I don't know. I mean, I would say 10% or less if you, if you factor in like all the churches. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very low, but here's the encouraging thing is God did a mighty work through Gideon with not very many yeah. people. Yeah. And he even got rid of a lot of them, said you got too many essentially. And so I know that we don't need, I think it was, um, 
was it Samuel, Ad Samuel Adams said, you don't need a majority to prevail, yeah. but you need a tireless, irate minority yeah. keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Yeah. And so I believe that we're going to win this because we got a lot of pastors out there that's getting on board. So Turning Point USA was started by Charlie Kirk. Is that that's right. Yes. And how long has it been going? So Turning Point USA as a whole has been uh, between 10 and 12 years now. Um, I think 2011 maybe is when he started it, but he started just going by col to college campuses and fighting this indoctrination. He would just go speak out or, you know, have open conversation and got pretty well known and donors started coming alongside him and now it's just really taken off. But we still have the Turning Point USA and then there's Turning Point USA Faith, which is who I work for in the churches, but we have a reporting team as well. There's a Turning Point Action, which is a separate entity, and that's just strictly uh, political. Uh, and then we, we're just really growing as an organization. Well, uh, for that just being 10 to 12 years old, and you mentioned in Phoenix they had 13,000 people attend the conference, that's a huge growth. Yes, yeah. In a quick period of time. It shows that there's a hunger for this. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think people are waking up that if we don't do something, we're going to lose this nation. Oh, yes. Now, I believe that we are going to see it turn around, but I mean, unless the Lord intervenes, this nation's headed in the wrong direction in a hurry. Oh, yeah. And, and based on history, uh, nations don't turn around from where we're at. Based on history. Now, America has been the first for a lot of things, and I believe we're going to be the first to turn around from a situation like this. But if you look at the rise and decline of nations yep. over history, they, they rise, they peak, and then they, they start going down and a new power comes up. Yep. But I, I'm just believing that we're going to turn this thing around. Yeah. So we still got some lines open, 719-619-2341. We'd love to have you call in. Have you ever read The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire? Or have you ever heard anybody talk about that? I've heard people talk about it, but I haven't read the book. But that book is basically the same thing. It goes back to Rome and talks about how they rose to be this global power. And any time that a civilization gets into immorality, adultery, homosexuality, homosexuality was big mm -hmm. in the Roman Empire. And they had these baths where you had to all bathe nude and men were having sexual relationships with other men and stuff. Every time that has happened, like you said, they, there's never been a nation that's recovered from it. And we're, I believe, going to be an exception, but we're at a critical point. Yes. And, you know, going back to even... I believe it was Noah that they said the Bible said there was only eight righteous people yep. among the whole earth, and it said for everybody else, it says their thoughts were continuously evil, yep. like they never even had a good thought. And now you got people that can't even tell which gender they are, and they're <laughs> it's yes. it's really sad. I mean, people thinking they're animals, and they even put in litter boxes in classrooms now. I, I mean, and you know they will ridiculous. deny that, but I've I've got friends that have actually seen this done. Mm -hmm. So they they will come out and say, oh, that's just a conservative thing. It's not truth, but but there are people that I know who said that they've seen it. Yeah, and you know the really sad thing, and I just encountered this firsthand over the holidays, but we got people professing to be Christian. And they support a party that supports killing babies, that yep. supports pushing this transgenderism on, on kids even. Yep. I mean, I had two family members over the holidays get up in my face and said, let me tell you something. They were, I kept my composure. I stood my ground, but I kept my composure. But these they two. They were against you for not supporting transgenderism? Well, for not supporting the Democratic Party. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was just, 
I thought they were joking with me at first. I mean, because in my mind, I mean, I, I just don't understand how the two go together, but it just really opened my eyes that people are so deceived. And it was interesting because it was right after they told me they was going to come hear me preach. And then <laughs> we kind of got into it a little bit. But people are so deceived. They profess, how, how's it saying Romans? They profess to know God. Yep. But they. And uh, the works they deny him. Yeah. Abominable. That's what I was turning to. This gives a list of progressive steps that people take away from God here in Romans chapter 1. And it just starts talking about these things. It doesn't happen all at once. And in the U.S., our decline hadn't happened all at once. This has been coming a long time. And the church has basically been asleep and we've let it happen. But as it describes these things, it gets into homosexuality. And it's like if you were talking about that there's a train headed to a place that this calls being reprobate, where they no longer, they have their conscience seared with a hot iron and they have no conviction whatsoever. They are just shaking their fist in the face of God, openly defying Him. Before... <laughs> Before you reach that place, the last stop on that train is homosexuality mm -hmm. right here. And boy, homosexuality has, you know, there's just a very small percentage of the U.S. population. The homosexuals will say it's 10 to 13 percent, but most people say it's less than 2 percent mm. or 3 percent. But they have a disproportional voice and they are making all of this push and... Uh, I tell you, this is like the last stop. If we don't see things turned around now, I don't believe we're going to see it turn around. No. And like I, I mentioned... Good news. It's going to happen. Amen. Well, like I mentioned earlier about Samuel Adams, he said it's a tireless, irate minority, yeah. and that's what's going on right now, but it's just with the things that's ungodly. You know, in a way, I actually think that it's good, some of the things that have happened, because the church has just been asleep, mm -hmm. and those who are paying attention have been awakened out of sleep, mm -hmm. like by your own admission. When you came to school, you were just trying to get your life together. But now, man, you've gotten passionate about going out and trying to reach others and getting them involved. You know, I think that this thing with Trump being taken off of the ballot in Colorado, that's certainly not a good thing. It's, uh, it's just political. I don't believe that there's any foundation to it. But I think it's good in the sense that now it's going to the Supreme Court. And there's two or three other states that are trying to do this same thing. And I believe that our conservative majority in the Supreme Court will rule in his favor. And so it's actually good that it came up and put this thing to rest mm -hmm. and it'll just uh, stop that. So God can work it together for good. And I believe all the wokeness we see can be worked together for good if it wakes up the church yeah. and gets us motivated to start doing something. Yeah. yeah Amen. So let's... <laughs> Let's go to David. We still got lines open at 719-619-2341. And David is from Arkansas. That's yeah. your home ground. <laughs> That's <Amen>. right. <laughs> David, welcome to Truth and Liberty with Lance and Andrew. It's a joy to be with you, and I am a personal friend of Lance. And I just well, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> he has blessed us so much here uh, in his hometown here at Paragu, Arkansas. And uh, I just, I just, I just felt in my heart I needed to get online and encourage him because he encourages us, and it's great to have a young man uh, following shoes like yourself, sir. I, I, I admonish and thank God for the wonderful ministry that you have. So, David, did you happen to know Lance before he got turned around? Were you aware of him, or is that since that? I, I, 
I have a lot. This is the thing about it. I was dealing with his friends and not knowing him. And uh, but the turnaround, we got to know that we knew all the people that he was running around with. Uh, this is a town where we have a lot of ministries that work out to these people who are on drugs and alcohol. And, uh, in fact, I work with a uh, – we have five houses and got 30 men that we work with the master's way here in our city. So we're, we're around this all the time, and these people are hungry because they want to get their lives right. And he's an example of what can happen if you'll turn your life to Jesus. Well, you would think that if people knew Lance and what he had gone through and see the way that he is now, that, man, that ought to be a pretty convincing argument for Jesus. Amen. Sure it reminds me of, of, the, of the legions there where Jesus cast out the devils. Yep. Uh, he yep. had to go back to his hometown and preach the message, and many people were converted because of it. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Thanks for your call, David. Let's see, your, uh, the message says you're asking when the next minister's conference is. Our minister's conference here in Colorado is the first full Monday through Friday of October every year. And we just celebrated our 40th minister's conference this last October. So this coming year will be our 40, 41st year doing that. And many years we had two minister's conference in one year. So uh, anyway, we've had a lot of ministry to ministers. And I will say, so... David, I call him Brother King. He, I mentioned to you before the show, I get to speak in a lot of churches in Arkansas, and he is the primary reason for that. I met, I actually met him going to hear Jason Rapert, mm -hmm. that you know, at an event, and met Brother King there, and he heard my testimony, and he invited me to speak, and after he heard me, he's just helped connect me with so many other pastors and, and ministers, and so he has been a great blessing to us, and he's one of the churches that I spoke in this last trip in Arkansas. So That's awesome. he is a great guy and very unselfish guy. And yeah, very thankful to have him there in our hometown of Paragold. Yep. Amen. And then also just to answer that real quick, we have our next minister's conference coming up in Phoenix, actually at the Dream City Church. And it, I don't have the dates in front of me, but it is, I think it's February 20 something, but you can look it up. Just type in TPUSA uh, Dream City Conference and you should be able to find some information on it. Amen. Thanks for your call, David. God bless you. Let's go to Pauline in Maryland. So you're on Truth and Liberty with Lance and Andrew. Hi, my name is Pauline Jacobs, and my question is, I uh, was married at one time, and um, we divorced. I divorced my husband about 20 years ago, and uh, it wasn't until recently, about this year, well, a couple years ago, um, I had talked to him, and he came over to my home, and we went out to dinner, and so we came back, and I asked him, you know, if he wouldn't mind us getting back together again, and he told me that... He don't know what he would do if he had another woman living with him. And so I'm like, okay now. So anyway, I found in the book of Matthew, chapter um, 19, verses 3 through 6, and it talks about, you know, when, 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 the, um, when Jesus finished his sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea through beyond Jordan. And the great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And so it goes on to tell you then. So my question is, am I wrong? I mean, it's been 20 years since we've been divorced. 
And so we were not we were not uh, saved when we got married at first. We were both of us was unsaved. So I mean, how do I fit into this? Because well, Paul, Pauline, let me ask you a question: Have either you or your ex-husband been married since you divorced? No. Well, I have been married again. Yeah. But well, that that led to divorce as well. All right. Well, here's what the scripture says: Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he find no favor, uh, that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of the house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be married to another man. Uh, and, and be another man's wife, excuse me. But in verse 3 it says, But if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of the house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord." And so that's what the scripture says about this. I will say this, that this was the Old Testament and it says in Acts chapter 13 verse 9, or excuse me, 1339, it says that through Jesus we are now cleansed from all things by, from which we could not be cleansed under the Old Covenant. So there are a lot of people that take some of these really strict laws that were given specifically about marriage and divorce and say that in Jesus you can be totally cleansed. And as you said, Pauline, you weren't even a believer back then. And uh, so I'm not going to be <coughs> dogmatic about it the way that the Scripture is here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. I do believe that we are under a covenant of grace. But I would say that you better really make sure that this is God because uh, I would be very skeptical I've never seen it work. I have seen a couple of people that were divorced, remarried to somebody else, and then they got back together, and they survived, but it wasn't a good situation. So I would just uh, really recommend that you pray about this and turn over and look at Deuteronomy 24 and consider it. And, uh, and I'd, have to let the, I'd have to let God speak to me supernaturally to tell me to get back into a relationship like that. But because you weren't even uh, born again at that time, I think that this could be an exception. You just need to depend upon the Holy Spirit guiding you. You got any comment on that? I think that was more than sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good. That was really good. So does that help Pauline or hurt? Thank you so much for your, for your answer. I really appreciate it because it was really bothering me, you know. Well, I would say that, you know, you... Most people enter into marriage, and if you've been married twice before, you probably would agree with this, that they get married because of all kinds of things, because of this feeling that they have, because of the way that the person looks, or just so many things. And you know, over a period of time, those things won't hold a marriage together. You need to marry a person that God points you to. He brought Eve to Adam, Ruth to Boaz, and Rebecca to Isaac. God puts people together. And it says in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, that whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. And you put that together with Psalms 34, I believe it's verse 10 or 12, and it says that no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who seek Him. 
So if a wife is a good thing, God will give you a wife. God is involved in putting couples together. My right. wife and I were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. And I know that most people just think that that's terrible, that man, there was no romance to it. Well, that's not true, but it wasn't our physical attraction that drew us together. We were both, we had both made the, the excuse me, we had both made the decision that we were not going to date, we weren't going to do anything until God showed us who we were supposed to marry. And so God spoke to both of us independent and told us that we were supposed to marry and we prayed about it and then we came together and said, well, if this is what God wants, then we'll have it. And after a period of separation and praying about it, we both came to that conclusion and we've now been married for 52 years. Praise God, it worked. Amen. And I don't think that there's another woman on the planet that would have stuck with me through the things that I've been through. It's been tough. And so uh, I'm, I, there is more to marriage than just physical attraction, natural things. You need to pray and let God guide you in this. And I will say this, that Rick McFarland, who teaches at Karis, he's got a great book called Where's My Mate? And he goes through and shows from the scripture how God brings the woman to the man. And I read that book and that's what led me to start praying for my wife. And God supernaturally uh, put us together. And what's really comforting about that is when, when we have some hard times, I, I just, I can, we can both always go back to God, this is who you put us with. And this, is, right. this, is, our, this is your best for each of us. And so it just really helps us to, to move forward and to work through things. Yeah, and anytime you put two people together, there's going to be some conflict and stuff. And if you aren't sure that God is the one that put it together, you'll think, well, man, I made a mistake. Yeah. This isn't the right person. Mm -hmm. But if you know that God is the one that puts you together, you will just have to adjust because this is God's will. So I honestly don't know how pay people make it in marriage if it's just somebody that you chose on your own. <clears throat> the whole way we do dating and marriage in the U.S., I believe, is an ungodly thing. Mm -hmm. That is not the way that God meant it to be. You go out, you get physically involved, you get attracted to each other, you start kissing and doing things, or nowadays people don't stop at kissing, mm -hmm. but they get physically involved and your hormones are flowing and then you go and say, God, is this you? And your, your body's yelling at you so loud you can't hear that That's still right. small voice of God. You need to know that this is who God put you with before you get physically involved with that person. And it needs to be a decision that you make from your heart, not your hormones. And then when that physical relationship happens, they get blinded by the emotion and then they base the decision out of emotion instead of the will of God. That's right. Well, that's, and it that's, just a, that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. Yeah. Instead of listening to the voice of God, they're letting their hormones drive them mm -hmm. or their emotions drive right. them. And yeah. man, that is not, you know, if all there was to marriage and keeping a marriage together is passion and sexual relationship, every marriage would work because they all have the sexual relationship. And at some time or another, they're passionate, but that won't last. Mm. You need something a lot stronger than that. That's a part of it, but it is not the main part. So anyway, Pauline, I hope that helps you. And I just pray and agree with you that God is going to speak to you and give you wisdom. I don't know exactly what to say, thus saith the Lord, but hopefully these scriptures that I gave will at least point you in the right direction and uh, give you something to pray about. And I believe that God's Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And you also need to take into account uh, the ex-husband, where he is, and if he's born again. 
And if he's not born again, well, then the scripture says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever out of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6. And I definitely would not enter back into that relationship again. Amen. Well, we still got some lines open at seven, <coughs> excuse me, 719-619-2341. Let's go ahead and take our break just a couple of minutes early and then we'll come back and take some more calls. We've got somebody on the line here, but we've still got open line 719-619-2341. So let's take a quick 90 second break and then we'll be right back to take your calls. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Excuse me, it would work better if I had my mic turned on. I'm sorry. That was my bad. I blew my nose during the break and I turned the mic off so that they couldn't hear it in there. So let me say this again. Uh, welcome back. And before the break, we had a question about marriage and Lance and his wife, Emily, are a good example of this because they had known each other when they were younger, but then they reconnected and God supernaturally put them together. You know, Lance has been a real blessing to me because he's one of our graduates that has just really appreciated what he received through our ministry. And so Lance and Emily come and visit with me at least once a year and we've kept in touch and they've shared with me about how God put them together. When they got married, it was, Lance had already been through two years of school here, but Emily wanted to come back. She wanted to go to school and she wanted Lance to come back with her. So he came back and went through the third year uh, practical government school. And so um, anyway, my point is that God used her in his life and God put them together. And now they've got a little eight week old uh, baby. And I tell you, they're just, uh, they are blessed. God is blessing them. He's got a job where he's influencing other people and using the talents that God has given him and great, great things are happening. Amen. So we've got another caller on the line. Uh, we've got Lance that is coming back here in just a second. But Dan, you are now on. You're from Florida. And uh, welcome to Truth and Liberty with Lance and Andrew. You're on the air with us. 
Oh, hey, Andrew. Um, Andrew and Lance, this is Mrs. Dan Fenton. And, uh, so, you know, Lance, Lance is a pretty awesome pickleball player, but that's not what I'm calling about today. Oh, do you know Lance personally? Did you hear that, Lance? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Do you know him? I do, yeah. Oh, all right, pickleball. He has, he has beat Cheryl and I at pickleball, so he's a pretty tough player. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, just excited about this upcoming election, this, this coming year. A uh, lot to pray about. Uh, but it's just curious, Lance, with, uh, with Turning Point, uh, with having people throughout all 50 states, um, what kind of response have you all seen uh, from the churches uh, leading, you know, coming into this election year? Um, I mean, Colorado is a pretty tough, tough state, and you're over, you know, Colorado and Utah there. Uh, so you're probably seeing some pretty tough responses. But just curious what kind of feedback Turning Point's getting uh, as we come up on this election, and um, are things looking very positive, or how, how, how can we best pray? Well, we get some of the best response in where the where the worst places are um, from a government standpoint, like where the lockdowns were the worst. California and the the Northwest uh, portion of the United States, it's it was really bad there, especially during 2020, 2021. And we are getting a great response there. I mean, California, they're on fire. And it's just, I, I would say yes, in all 50 states, we're getting a, a good response. Uh, some places better than others, but. I do believe yeah. that the church is waking up and it's taken a crisis situation to wake us up. You know, I can compare this <clears throat> to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Yamamoto was the guy that was in charge of the fleet that did the attack on uh, Pearl Harbor. And he was against attacking them because he says, we are going to wake a sleeping giant is mm -hmm. what he said. And they won that first round and they really uh, crippled the U.S. fleet that was stationed there at Hawaii. But overall, it just made America unite. There was people fighting against that. But when they took a vote on the declaration of war with Japan, there was only one woman that voted against it out of all of the Congress. Hmm. And she was a total pacifist. She voted against World War I too. But other than that, everybody was totally unified. And in a sense, this is what's happened. We have seen uh, a war declared on our nation. And you know, it's always been this way. The Bible teaches that we are fighting against not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. That we're in a spiritual war, but the church has just been enjoying prosperity We've had these mega churches that are building huge facilities and we've got uh, Christians that have become famous and they're selling books and becoming multi-millionaires over it. One person I'm aware of has made, I forgot, but it's up close to a billion dollars wow. on his books and Christians have gotten involved in just the, the joy of seeing things grow and stuff, but they haven't been the salt and the light and they haven't been involved. And I think that during this uh, COVID deal, it really woke some people up. Mm -hmm. I know that here on staff, uh, we had people that were kind of indifferent about the whole thing. And you know, I started speaking out when they passed the Oberfell thing in 2015 is when I really began to start getting involved. And I had some people that didn't uh, criticized me in a bad way, but they weren't in agreement. They thought that, you know, we can let these things go. So I didn't have everybody in union and in agreement, but when the uh, COVID thing came and man, they wanted to shut us down and stuff and I took a stand, it really made people unite and get behind us. Our response nearly doubled the people that started responding to us. 
So I really do believe that even though we don't like what we've seen in our nation, I think it's nearly necessary. It's a wake-up call to get the church motivated. I remember in 2020, I was at that minister's conference, and you're like, if they take me to jail, just stay calm or something like that. And anyway, it was And was Dwayne wild. Sheriff, he's on my board, and he was scheduled to speak that, that night that they said that they were going to come and arrest me if we had the meeting. And so I told Dwayne, I said, if they come and get me, you just keep preaching. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I forgot what happened, but my staff, I was on the front row, and the staff came and got me, and I never leave a service. I sit through the whole service. And my staff came and got me. I had to make some decision, and they took me up to what we call the war room. But when Dwayne saw the, the usher come and get me <laughs> and ask me to leave, he thought, man, they're doing it. What oh, a wow. Doing? And he just kind of panicked. But And it turned out that they didn't arrest me, but I mean, it was, it was critical. And it, it's, people are realizing that if we don't stand up, we're going to lose the freedoms that God gave us in this country. And if, if even just a small portion, like a small percentage of the church would have done what you done, it would have been a whole different ball game. Yeah. yeah. But very few churches did that. I sent a thing to the governor of Colorado. We sued him twice and he sued us twice. And I sent him a letter and I had 700 pastors sign it. And I may be mistaken, but I think all of them were from Colorado. If not, they were mainly Colorado. And they agreed and they signed their name to it that we respect you, we want to submit, but when it comes to disobeying God, we're going to submit to God first. And we are over submitting to this lockdown. And we sent this letter and 700 people signed it. But if they would have stood up and have kept meeting mm -hmm. instead of just signing a letter with me, see, we kept meeting and they threatened to come arrest me and stuff. If you would have had all 700 of those pastors do that, the governor would have backed down. That's right. Yep. Whether they realize it or not, they are responsive to the people. Yeah. You know, I read a thing about uh, Berlin when the Berlin Wall came down, that it was because the Soviet Union was falling apart and they were getting pressure from the people in East Berlin wanting to come over and visit their relatives and people that they hadn't been allowed to see in West Berlin and they were putting pressure on it. And so the uh, guy who was the chancellor of East Berlin, he did not want to take the wall down. He did not want to give them freedom, but he was under pressure. So they gave him three things, and I forget exactly, but one of them was allow a one-day pass that people could go and then come back. Another one was open it temporarily, or the third one was just to open the gates and, and let it go. And anyway, out of frustration, he just said, oh, let them go. But he didn't mean just throw the gates open. They misinterpreted. It was a mistake, and it all happened because of the pressure that people were putting on the government. Wow. And it was a dictatorship, but nonetheless, dictatorships are uh, to some degree responsive to the people. Yeah. And if the churches would stand up and stand for what's right, I guarantee you we are the largest group of anything in this nation. We could do anything we want to do, but you don't have churches that are standing in agreement. So that's what your job's all about is trying to equip these churches to get in to take a stand. That's right. And Jesus said, he said, on this rock, I build my church. And that word is ecclesia. And it's not talking about like church, like a lot of people thinks of church. I mean, it's talking about the body of Christ being engaged in the community and being involved, being the body of Christ in every sphere of influence. And so, and that includes politically. Amen. And so, and, and it says the gates of hell will not prevail. 
And so if the body of Christ gets involved here in America, the gates of hell won't prevail in America either. And we're going to turn this thing around. And the significance is it's the gates of hell that won't prevail. In other words, it's not our gates that we're defending and we're going to be able to hold it. We should be on the offensive attacking them yeah. and taking the battle to the gates of hell. And the church hasn't been doing that. They built their little walls and they're just sitting there singing kumbaya and thinking about going to be with the Lord. And I'm not saying they aren't born again, but they aren't being the salt and the light that God called us to be. Yes, we need to be aggressive offensively. Amen. Yeah. So Dan, thank you for your call. Let's go to Tim in Wisconsin. We still have some lines open at 719-619-2341. We have Tim from Wisconsin. You're on with Lance and Andrew on Truth and Liberty Live. Call in. Hey, Brother Andrew. Hey, Brother Lance. How are you guys doing today? We are blessed. How about you? I'm blessed as well. Very blessed getting to listen to you. Well, good. Um, my question is, oh, I, I just want to say that I, that book you mentioned, Lance, by Eric Metaxas, Letters to the American Church, I just read that a couple months ago. And, man, that, that just puts things into perspective. So well. Oh, yeah, it's a great read. I really encourage anybody that's listening out there to get a hold of that and read it. Yeah, I think every pastor should read that. Yeah, amen, amen. I'm going to recommend it to a lot of people. And my friends that are borderline woke, they're going to hear about it. <laughs> anyway, my question is, um, uh, you mentioned about how the condition of America is, you know, especially in regards to all the immorality and, you know, homosexuality and all the stuff, wokeness and all that, and how that, and I've heard, you know, Bill Federer a lot talk about how, you know, cultures that are going this direction don't usually come back from it. Mm -hmm. My question is, what was the condition of America like at the time or before the time of the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening? I mean, I've heard that it, it was pretty bad then. You know, I don't think they had, I mean, not homosexuality, but, uh, you know, drunkenness and, you know, immorality and godlessness was, lawlessness abounded, you know, and yet first Great Awakening happened, you know, there in the 1700s and the second one, 1800s before leading up to the Civil War and, you know, well, so you, things. you say, so if I'm not mistaken, the first Great Awakening led to America. So there really right. wasn't. That was the birth. Yeah. There, I mean, there was some, some activity going on here, but there wasn't the true America that we have now before the first Great Awakening. But there was a lot of division in the United States before we became a nation. And each one of our colonies was started basically by a religious group. And some of these mm -hmm. groups forbid, for instance, Catholics to be in that entire colony because yep. the Catholic Church had dominated Europe with the Pope and stuff. So, Which is still in a lot of the state constitutions today. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a lot of division and things like that. And the thing that really caused America to coalesce and come together is primarily the preaching of George Whitfield and uh, the uh, Methodist preachers, uh, Finney, or no, Wesley. Wesley. Yeah. And Wesley brothers and stuff. And like, um, <clears throat> I think it was George Whitfield that 80% of the colony population before our independence had heard him preach in person. And uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin actually built him a tabernacle, I think in Philadelphia or Boston, one of those places, and had him come in and preach. And it was his preaching going up and down. It killed him. He, he preached himself to death. But it caused a revival. And anyway, uh, the Bartons are the ones that I learned most of this through David and Tim Barton. But there are something like, I don't know, hundreds 
of direct references to Scripture or to uh, uh, preaching messages that were in the colonies that are referenced in our Declaration and in our Constitution. And without the first Great Awakening, we wouldn't have had this nation. But they started standing up and, you know, contrary to what the uh, woke culture is saying, that America has been systemically racist, that is not true. There were two colonies out of the 13 that uh, embraced slavery and their, uh, their economy was dependent upon it. But the other 11 con uh, uh, colonies were against slavery. And George Washington actually petitioned King George to uh, outlaw slavery in Virginia. But Virginia was a colony of Great Britain and King George was the major owner in a slave trade and he was making billions of dollars off of it and it was against the law to end slavery. But there was people that were against it. The abolitionist movement was big in the United States basically because of a revival that took place but they were fighting the strongest nation on the face of the earth and they had already decided that if they weren't 100% unified, that they couldn't make it if they allowed any of the colonies to stay loyal to uh, Britain. And so they had to either be 100% or none at all. And when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, he actually wrote in there that uh, all men were created equal and one of the further statements is that they were abhorrent of slavery and they spoke against King George and his practices and stuff like that. And that was in the first copy of the Declaration of Independence as one of the grievances. But and those, it was the largest grievance as well. Yeah, it yeah. was. And uh, he even put some words in there in capitals yeah, in the right. whole thing to emphasize it. But those two colonies would not agree with that and it was going to unravel the whole thing. So they decided to take that out of the Declaration. But again, two colonies out of 13 are the one that allowed slavery to go. And they even wrote into the Constitution some things that in January the 1st of 1808 that they would end slave trade coming into the mm -hmm. United States. And it happened. And Thomas Jefferson, he, he penned in there, he put life liberty in the pursuit of happiness, but it actually was at first property, but because a lot of people looked at blacks as property then, he, he put the pursuit of happiness. And so, so, yeah, they were against it. So the reason I'm bringing that up is, see, some people have bought into this wokeness that America was just systemically racist. America was a Christian uh, nation when it was founded, and it was because of this first great awakening. That's what birthed this nation. And then the second great awakening was the abolitionist movement in the 1800s, and I mean, they were strong against it. And the Republican Party was started specifically to end the slave trade. That was its main goal. And Lincoln was the very first Republican ever elected to office, and that, and of course, that led to the Civil War. And so the uh, there was going to be a divorce, you know, if uh, if the Civil War was allowed to stand, but they held the nation together. So our first two great awakenings birthed this nation, kept it going, kept it together, and I believe that this third great awakening is going to see a, a revival of things. And again, there is no precedent for this, and there are <coughs> no guarantees. But the Lord has spoken to me and told me that we're already in the third great awakening. You aren't going to hear that much if you listen to the 10 Spies Network, but I believe it's happening. 
That's right. Yeah. And Dinesh D'Souza, he's got a great documentary. It's called uh, Hillary's America, the history of the Democratic Party. And it goes through, I mean, it doesn't necessarily refer into the Second Great Awakening, but it's talking about the history back in that time. And it's, it talks about the Republican Party and shows how they were in full support of getting rid of slavery and how the Democratic Party held on to it. And it's still the same today. It just looks a lot different. Yeah, the Democratic Party is the one that started the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. The first vice president of the Confederacy became the grand, whatever, the grand poopah or Blizzard, whatever, yeah. whatever they call them of the Ku Klux Klan. And even uh, Robert Byrd, as, as late as the 1960s, I think it was, he was a grand master in the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, the reason you did it is because you couldn't be anybody in the Democratic Party if you weren't a Klan member mm. in the South. And so until the 1960s, I've, I've seen statistics that like 90 to 98% of all blacks were Republicans because of what the Republicans did, fighting the Civil War, ending slavery, and things like this. But then uh, <coughs> Lyndon Johnson came out with this great society, and he even said in, in the background, they've actually got an uh, audio recording of this, and I heard him say it. He says, now we will have these, and he used that N-word, mm -hmm. as slaves for the next 200 years. And he used the great society and the welfare program to make them dependent upon the government and sure. voting for them. And that's when the blacks in large mass switched over. But did you know that Eisenhower actually started all of these things that were actually passed under LBJ, they were started under the reign of Eisenhower and it just was the timing of things. And so anyway, uh, I believe that they've bought into a lie, but Democrats are not the friends of blacks. And if they lose the black vote, then they're, yeah. they're in trouble. And yeah. I believe that black people, the, the black community are waking up. Yeah, and did you know Trump, when he was in, we had the lowest unemployment among, among blacks that had ever been, the best prosperity. There were great things happening. And uh, man, it has gone downhill. All of this uh, diversity, equity, inclusion stuff is actually racist and teaching people that you are systemically racist because you're white. It doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter about your character. You can't change it. You're just uh, racist by nature, and that is racist. And I've met pastors that tell me that kind of stuff. Going to these different churches, I've had pastors tell me because I'm white, I automatically have racist thoughts. That's, and that's wrong. And I told them, I said, just because you think that way don't mean we all think that's that right. way. And that's, yeah. that's racist to and say that, that because of the color of your skin, you've got to think this yeah. way. And that's critical race theory, which yeah. is really Marxism. That's right. And, and that's really what it is. It's a, it's a whole, we are right now living in the midst of a cultural revolution. Yep. Yeah, and it's up to you and I, it's up to the body of Christ to thwart the plans of the enemy. We are living in the days that Isaiah said in Isaiah 5:20 that they call evil good and good evil and and, mm -hmm. and white black and black white and sweet bitter and all of these things. It's just everything has been turned on its head. Mm -hmm. Praise God. The only antidote for it is the truth of the Word of God. Amen. So let's go to Frank in Missouri. Frank, you're on Truth and Liberty with Lance and Andrew. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you guys. Uh, and it's such a privilege. And I was listening. I have a question about uh, the vision that the brother had in the in the beginning. But uh, uh, it's just a blessing. I got to hear you this morning in uh, in chapel, uh, Pastor Andrew. And uh, and uh, 
the, the, the scripture that you used in Hebrews chapter 6, back in May, the Lord blessed me to give that to an 18-year-old that took that scripture to her high school. She was a valedictorian. They submitted it to the school authorities and took that scripture. And, and anyways, uh, praise the Lord, it affected 140 of her classmates with the That's awesome. Hebrews chapter 6. <laughs> so, Frank, let me ask you a question. Are you a student or how did you hear me this morning? Was that live cast? Oh, hey, Brother Andrew, I, I have been, uh, for the last two years, I, 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 actually, it's probably been since since the inception of, uh, you know, you and TBN back about 2000, I've been listening to uh, the Gospel Truth uh, broadcast that early in the morning, like 6, 630. Uh, you, you but how did you hear me at, how did you hear me at chapel this morning? Well, you know, my, 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 tell, hey, brother, I, I tag, I tag in through, through my, the only device that I really have that is through, through my telephone, through a YouTube or Facebook or whatever it is that, that comes through. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, it was really powerful that you, you admitted to, to, to you know, I wanted to ask you a personal question. Did you, you know, when you went to Arizona, did you did you use the the gym or whatever the uh, the, the facility that you were in? Did, you know, do you pump a little bit of iron? You keep your you kept, keep Yeah, I did. I actually went. Uh, question. I actually went six miles on a. I actually went six miles on a treadmill on Thursday, uh, but man, I I don't know all of the reasons. I think part of it may be that I'm. Just getting older. I hate to admit that. I've never thought that way, but I just, uh, you know, I, I stood for 10 out of 11 hours on Saturday, and I think I got wasted and just tired. And when you get your body physically uh, weak, uh, it gives you opportunity to stuff. I don't know, but I'm well. I'm over it. I'm on the other side of it, and praise Amen. God, I'm going to survive and thrive. Amen. So, Frank, I'm assuming that you were not here in person this morning is what I'm asking you. This is the third time. No, hey, you know, it's almost like my spirit man is there. Hey, Frank, <laughs> time out. Is this a yes or no? Were you here this morning or did you see me over the telephone or over some device? I, I saw you over the telephone. All right, that's what I was asking. I'm sorry, I just, it wasn't clear because I didn't know that we were broadcasting <clears throat> that this morning. It made me wonder if you were a student and if you were here physically. But it was good what I shared this morning. Like I said earlier, I believe it was a word from God and I had people come up and ask how they could get a copy of it. And I said, I knew that somehow or another it's recorded. We record every single thing that happens here. So, so did you have another question for uh, Lance Frank? Yes, I, yes, I did. It was about the, the beginning of the broadcast about the vision of Jesus. That you know, how how does that, uh, uh, you know, uh, how, how does that uh, translate down into the the practical, natural manner? How do you share stuff like that with just whatever, uh, however, not you know, people, period, punked. Because uh, I've had stuff like that happen to me all, all the time. It's like uh, I was I was sharing with James so something that, that happened up on the 17th floor in Jerusalem, Israel, overlooking the the Knesset and the uh, the Golden Dome about being dis, dis, 
uh, jointed, uh, having a vision of the high priest and the holy of holies. Yeah. And, uh, well, let me let me jump in here. So very good. Lance. So the the encounter that I had, you know, I I didn't speak about it for a couple of years, and there's been certain things that I've just processed and and uh, but then there there came a point where I knew. I knew internally I was supposed to to speak out on these things, and so now I just now I use discernment, but I share the truth, and I just got to where I don't care what people think about it. I mean, if people think it's weird, they don't believe it. You know, I used to I used to just kind of you know before I would share it, I'd make all these disclaimers, but I got to where I don't do that anymore because I just I'm not overly concerned about what people's going to think about it. I mean, it actually happened to me. And it is a hundred percent truth. Matter of fact, my words can't even really describe describe everything that happened. So I just speak it and just don't worry about what people think. Uh, now I do think there's a time and place to share things as well. So I'd use discernment on that. You know, let me say that I've never had anything like what Lance is talking about. And so you need to be careful that you don't somehow or another think that if you don't have an experience where you physically see things and stuff, that somehow or another your experience is less valid. Mm -hmm. uh, God just reaches people different ways. And I don't know all the reasons for this, but apparently this is what Lance needed and God dealt with him where he was and it worked. But I've never had that happen to me. And uh, you need to be open to it if God wants to speak something to you. And if he wants to give you a vision of something, excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. I'm <laughs> So if you... Uh, if he wants to give you something, I wouldn't turn it down. I say, God, I'm open to anything, but I'm going to believe your word whether I go through some special experience yes. or not. Well, and there's a greater blessing on that. Ain't that right according to the scripture? Excuse me. I think with um, uh, Thomas talked about you believe because you saw. Yeah. But uh, great. Was he 20? Yeah. Greater is he that. Is that so how it says it? Yea, rather, blessed is he who has That's not it. seen and yet has believed. Yeah. And so I needed that because of the situation I was in. But I often tell people, don't seek the experience, but seek the one who gives that experience. And, and if you never get an experience like that, that's okay, because I think there's a greater blessing on that. But because of my decisions and because what I opened myself up to, I needed that because I was in, I was in desperation. I mean, with, because I had that evil encounter beforehand. I mean, I had literal demons on the inside of me. And so that's the way God chose to deliver me. But again, I would, I would not encourage anybody to seek out experiences like we that. We got that saying about desperate times call for desperate measures. And so when you're yeah. in a desperate situation, God has to knock you off your horse like he did with Saul to get mm -hmm. his attention. But uh, there's other people that God didn't do that to. He right. used in a mighty way. Right. And, you know, he did it with uh, Saul when he became Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus. And, and that's the closest thing in Scripture I can describe that to. I didn't physically see Jesus like Paul did. Uh, but I had, a, I had an encounter very similar to that, and it changed everything. I'm very grateful for it. You know, there's a good friend of mine, Dwayne Sheriff, who also hosts these Truth and Liberty live call-in shows. And uh, he had an encounter where he literally saw Jesus crucified, and he saw himself inside of Jesus. And then he saw Jesus buried and resurrected from the dead, and he saw himself in that. And he saw these things, and it made a huge impression on him. I had the exact same thing happen to me, but I didn't see anything. It was revealed to me through the Word of God 
And Dwayne and I are probably the most alike of any other minister I know. And it's because we both had an encounter that brought us to the end of ourselves and just made a total commitment to God. And the way that he has raised us up, it's made us nearly parallel in all of our doctrines and stuff. But one had a vision and the other one just got it from the word. And uh, I don't know that one is superior to the other. The Lord did say that there's a greater blessing on those that just operate in faith instead of because of something physical. But man, you just need to receive what God has got. I do think that there's wisdom in Lance talking about that he, you know, doesn't always try and explain it or do anything like that. It's just your testimony. Mm -hmm. And so you give your testimony and you overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and your word of your testimony. Don't water it down. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Amen. Yep. Amen. So thanks for your call, Frank. I hope that helped. We still got time for one more call. We don't have anybody lined up right now. If you want to get in, you can call. We only have two and a half minutes left, but it's 719-619-2341. So Lance, you have been a blessing to a lot of people. It's awesome to see what God's doing in your life and stuff. Uh, if you get into politics, have you learned anything about running for office, what you would do, how much money it takes to get started? Well, there's... Do you go for a local election first, or how do you do this? Well, that's just something I'm going to have to seek the Lord on, on the, on the timing and then what office. But I've had a lot of prophetic words about senator, and I don't know whether that's a state senator or United States senator or both. You know, you remind me of Senator J Jason Rippert. Yeah. You guys look alike, especially with your beard. Oh, you yeah. Guys, you, you resemble each other, and he's been a powerful force. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Jason, I, I talk to him periodically, and he's been a great blessing in my life as well. But yeah, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just, I'm just preparing myself for whenever God leads me to do that because I, I do believe He will uh, lead me to do that. You know, let me say to some of you watching, we've only got a minute and a half left, but I believe that God is speaking to some of you just like Lance. And you know, you need to get involved. And it might just be being on the school board. You know, we turned the school board around in Woodland Park and we passed this America First, I think, I may have... Birthright. America Birthright uh, curriculum. And uh, we are the first uh, school system in the nation to pass it. And just this last week, the NCAA officially recognized it as accredited course wow. and stuff. And so it's going to spread like wildfire. And that's all starting out of Woodland Park because people started getting involved in the school board and it could make a nationwide effect. Well, so few people get involved and vote on local level elections. That's actually where we have the most authority at and the most power at yeah. if we'll just get involved. Because a lot of people, they, they, they feel paralyzed because they look at the national stuff, think they can't do anything about it. I mean, we still need to vote there too, but we can turn our city and state around a lot easier than we can yeah. in national and just in one election. David Barton talked about a, an election in Arkansas that the guy lost by one vote and he got busy yeah. and didn't go vote. And if he would have voted, he could have made a tie and a runoff, but he didn't take time to vote for himself. That's right. It's that easy. Yeah. Well, we're out of time today, but thank you for doing this. Can Remember I say that we do this. Just real quick. Oh, yeah. Hey, if, I just want to encourage you to get plugged in with TPUSA Faith. So go to tpusafaith.com or you can go to tpusa.com and get plugged in. So with TP us. is turning point. Yes. Everybody likes to use initials. Yeah. I like to say that. <laughs> thank you for joining us. We'll do this every day at 3 30 to 5 o'clock. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. 
You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.